0: Alright, I'll do Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to fifteen dollars per month. Unlimited over forty gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active mint customers by five thirty-one twenty-four. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Welcome to Mind Love, Episode 121. Today's episode is all about escaping from emotional eating.
1: I'm actually going to skip into the part about untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger because I feel like this is the area that's most tangible and the people who are listening, you can practice this right away in whatever you're going to eat later today. So, that you can start to have your eyes open and experience things differently with food. One of the tools that I teach in untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger is called the Hunger and Fullness Scale. A lot of people know about this, but the way that I teach it is a little bit different.
0: Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monty. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. I want to talk about eating today. Do you know for sure that you only eat when you're hungry? Or do you ever eat when you're stressed or anxious or overwhelmed or even bored? Do you feel like you don't have any self-control when it comes to food? I for sure struggle with this. Today's topic is personal to me. Well, most topics on this podcast are personal to me, but this one, this one has affected my life more than any other topic I've ever touched on. We're talking about emotional eating today. Most people think of their overeating habits as just lacking self-control. But what if I told you that that's rarely the case? Our emotions are major drivers in our eating habits. And if you think about it, this idea can actually be both freeing and a little scary. Like, what do you mean my emotions are making me binge eat? I'm an emotional person, so does that mean that I am destined to be Cookie Monster? I mean, I already get super hangry. But actually, no, it's not even that simple. There are a bunch of factors that make you more prone to emotional eating, and it can become a habit whether or not you consider yourself an emotional person. It's funny because looking back, patterns seem so easy to spot. But while it's happening, it's a lot harder. My eating disorder started right after I found out my dad was dying of cancer. And if you had asked me back then, I would not have thought that these two things were connected. Well, now it seems pretty obvious. If you're a regular listener of Mind Love, you know that I had a 10-year struggle with bulimia. It was bad, you guys. Binging and purging all day long sometimes. Believing I could never be in a relationship because I wouldn't let people close enough that they might catch on to my most shameful secret. It completely took over my life. Even as a kid, though, I was a binger. I remember going to my neighbor's house after school, and her mom gave us each a cookie, and I scoffed. Seriously, one cookie? What am I, a toddler? What is this, an after-school snack for ants? And as soon as her mom left the room, I had cookies on cookies in my pockets. (laughs) Or Halloween, I'd fill up a whole pillowcase of candy, and then I'd sit in my room watching Clarissa Explains It All, eating pounds of candy at a time. I also did not yet know that I was highly sensitive or an empath. And like most people, I hadn't been taught skills to handle emotions. So food was my escape. Cookies healed heartbreak. Starburst healed FOMO. And everything else cured boredom. And yes, eating out of boredom is a form of emotional eating because you're feeling the discomfort of not having something to focus on through food, when really, you should get comfortable being still with your thoughts. And get this, most food quality sucks. It's full of GMOs and hormones, so it actually adds to our stress and hormone imbalances, making it even more likely that we feel a need to cope. And it starts the cycle all over again. So let's figure out how to deal with all this in a healthy way, shall we? Our guest today is Jessica Prosini. She's an emotional eating healer and the founder of Escape from Emotional Eating. Her whole mission is to help people use food as fuel instead of a way to cope or soothe or escape their stressful life. And just like it so happens with so many of us, her mess became her message. She created her program and designed it based on her own emotional eating journey because Overeaters Anonymous just didn't resonate and therapy didn't feel like it was enough when it really came to getting help to end her fight with food. And now she's 100% free from her compulsions with food. So she's going to help us do the same thing today. So today, three key things we will learn are how to tell if you're actually hungry or eating for emotional reasons, the four roots of emotional eating, and how to start healing your relationship with food. And in my final thoughts at the end of the episode, I will share my top mindful eating habits. Some of these simple little actions have honestly saved my life, so stick around for that. Do you want to know the best way to remind yourself that you are in control of your life and your emotions? Sign up for The Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how The Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of Powerless, to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you want to make it really easy, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Jessica Prosini to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm curious about your story of emotional eating. My listeners know this is something that's kind of dear to my heart, too. It's a different version of it, but a lot of it came back to emotional eating. I suffered from bulimia for over a decade, and it got really bad. And even to today, it's still something I have to be conscious about. So how did you get to this place of even understanding that you were emotional eating? And what was your journey? So my earliest
1: memory of emotional eating was from when I was about six years old. And for the next 20 years, I had a real love-hate relationship with food. I felt very compulsive around it. It was something I always thought about. It was the first thing that I thought about when I woke up in the morning. I would constantly be thinking about what am I going to eat? How much am I going to eat? When am I going to do it? And for a long time, you know, food was something that always had control over me and really always haunted me. And it wasn't until I was moving into being an adult that I really started to see how much of a burden my relationship with food really was and more that what I was experiencing with food was not normal and I really started to feel out of control. I would say when I was in my mid-20s was when my emotional eating was really at its worst, where I felt the most crazy and compulsive around food. And I remember trying to talk to my friends about it. Like I overate last night and I just always think about food and they would sort of brush me off and be like, oh, Jessica, like everyone overeats, let's go work out. And we would sign up for like a workout class. I remember trying to talk to my partner about it and he was like, oh, Jessica, I'll love (laughs) you no matter what size you are, which is beautiful and great and everything that we want our partners to say. But what really boggled my mind was how could he love me when all I wanted to do was crawl out of my own skin? And I tried to seek help in. Uh, professionals and therapists, and they just wanted to write me a prescription for an antidepressant and send me on my way. And I was really clear that I was already using food to numb myself. I didn't want to just continue living a numb life. I didn't want to just replace food with medication. I wanted to be free. I wanted peace. I wanted a normal, healthy relationship with food. And I felt like the only other option was Overeaters Anonymous. And I could never get myself to like go to a meeting or even approach the opportunity because they come from a very long history of many generations of alcoholism. And it just felt like all too much, too much to go to like a 12 step meeting about what was going on between me and food. And it was at that point that I just really felt hopeless. Like I felt deeply understood. I didn't have hundreds and hundreds of pounds to lose. I was just discovering that I was an emotional eater. And I just really felt like I had nowhere to go. Like no one could really understand what I was going through because I wasn't hundreds of pounds in obesity. And it was that point that I really... Dedicated myself to investigating every single nook and cranny of my relationship with food the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And I found answers, answers that no one is talking about. So, from that, I started to create a series of tools to help myself, starting to fill in a lot of the missing pieces that I wasn't getting from things like therapy and other health coaches. And from that research, I discovered that there are four roots of emotional eating and I focused completely on healing them. And when I did, what was wild was that I would wake up in the morning and not be thinking about food anymore. I stopped overeating. I stopped thinking about it all the time. I really felt like I got my energy, and my brain space back. And from there, my body just released any excess weight. I feel like I'm really at this place where I'm at the healthy, right-for-me weight. I don't have to manipulate my relationship with food anymore. It's just peaceful. It's easy. It's simple when it used to be so complicated. And now this is everything that I'm passionate about teaching and sharing with others. Just like, here's what I know here's what I know from walking that road and no one else told me. And it is such a passion of mine and why I created
0: Escape from Emotional Eating in the first place. So when we are talking about emotional eating, part of it's pretty self-explanatory. You're eating because of emotions, but how does that compare to a typical eating disorder? Like, I mean, well, bulimia, of course, you're purging your food as well, but overeating can be considered an eating disorder as well. What's different about it, or is it the same?
1: So this is where things can get kind of tangled because there are similarities with emotional eating and other eating disorders like bulimia and anorexia, but there are specific differences. And the major difference between an eating disorder and emotional eating is that emotional eating is a learned behavior. It is often learned unconsciously, but it is a learned behavior that must be unlearned. And I think that's the main differentiation about emotional eating. So emotional eating can show up in other eating disorders, but it's sort of like icing on an eating disorder cake, even though that's a terrible (laughs) analogy. I'm so sorry. (laughs) <laughs> but that is like the mind. Like it's an element of, but by itself, I would say that we could say it's disordered eating, but I wouldn't categorize it as an eating disorder. Like I did not have an eating disorder. I was very disordered with my eating, and the way that I define emotional eating is using food for a purpose other than fuel. So using it when you're stressed, anxious, bored, afraid, overwhelmed. I mean, the list goes on. But any time that the primary intention of eating is for an emotional need is emotional eating.
0: And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. So what I have found... I have an addictive personality. I'm a creature of habit. So a lot of times there have been fine lines between, wait, is this an addiction or is this a really deeply ingrained habit? Like <laughs> I've had to kind of sift through that. And I think I oftentimes do teeter on that line, but I've found that there's so many things of my deepest habits that I don't realize exactly what I'm doing this for or where it's coming from, including with emotional eating. Like, I might think I'm hungry, even though I'm not, because it's been going on so long that I forget what that true hunger even really feels like. So how do you know if you or somebody you know is eating for emotional reasons if you're so far in it?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that can really start the process of healing is being curious. Right, curiosity is always the gateway to transformation. So, simply being curious and in a conversation with yourself about your relationship with food is where the healing can begin. And then from there, I offer a free quiz on my website, escapefromemotionaleating.com, for anyone who's listening. If you're using food to cope, Soothe or escape, and it's holding you back. Encourage you to go to escapefromemotionaleating.com, take that free quiz, you'll get your results, and I'll tell you what to do next after that. And I think that really is the best way to start to open our eyes to what's going on with food. I offer this quiz in a lot of the workshops that I do, and all of my clients have taken it. And people who come to the workshops, and are like, I'm not an emotional eater, they'll take the quiz and they'll be like, oh my God, like I had no idea. Like I am such an emotional eater. And even people who are emotional eaters, they'll take the quiz and then they'll say like, I knew these things, but now they make a lot more sense than they did before. So I really believe that curiosity and just being like, what is this about? Why am I eating right now? And one of the things that I do in all of my programs, one of the steps that we take is called untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger. Because for emotional eaters, it's very tangled, right? Like we can think that we're hungry, but we just ate. So like, why are we feeling hungry? And what is it really about? And it can create like food confusion. So that's why doing the untangling in our work together is so important. So there is clarity. And then we can really pinpoint what needs to change from there.
0: You said that emotional eating is a learned behavior. Where are we learning this?
1: (laughs) Well, for me, my first teachers of emotional eating were my parents. And interestingly, it wasn't until I started to heal my emotional eating and started to say, you know, I am an emotional eater that they started to realize, oh, wait, like we are too, in their own experience. So that was my first teacher. And then from there, especially today, it really is a cultural thing. And I'm not talking like a cultural thing just in the United States, because I do work with international clients. And it's the same thing, whether you live in the US or Iceland or Saudi Arabia or wherever. But I'm really talking about culture as human beings and the culture to food marketing even. I get these notifications on my phone from Open Table where you can make reservations like for restaurants. And there's just something about the way that they market that like every message is actually encouraging emotional eating. They're like, oh, had a stressful day, make a reservation and we'll take care of it. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> so it's not just happening within our own home and our household, but it's really happening in a marketing perspective and in a cultural perspective. Because when it comes down to food marketing, people make decisions from emotional places. So if you can make food emotional, you're going to buy it. And that's really what marketing and food marketers want so we get it from everywhere which is really why community when it comes to healing emotional eating is a really important part because I can't tell you how many people tell me oh my gosh you mean this it wasn't just me this isn't just happening for me I'm not alone in this I'm like no 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 there are so many people who struggle with emotional eating And don't know that
0: a lot of other people are too. So what are some of the things that trigger emotional eating more specifically? You said that there are four roots to emotional eating. So I'm curious what you found there. So triggers are
1: really interesting. And this can get me really fired up when it comes to talking about triggers, because I think there's some miseducation when it comes to triggers and food. So common conversation around triggers is that like the food is the enemy, right? Like maybe like Reese's pieces are your quote unquote trigger food. But in reality, the food itself is not the trigger. The trigger is the mental association made with food. Sort of like Pavlov's dog. We kind of already always know that that analogy and that story and research of like Pavlov rang his bell and fed his dog and then the dog would salivate every time that he would hear the bell rung whether or not the food was there. Same thing happens to our brain. We make these associations and maybe Reese's Pieces actually remind you of your childhood and sitting on the couch and after like being at school all day and it was your reward. And that can create a sense of safety for the person who is eating Reese's Pieces. I know that we can repattern triggers because I have personally experienced this where I used to have this like granola. It was like a healthy granola, you know, made with like coconut sugar and coconut oil and it had chia seeds in it, you know, it was like real top of the line granola. But I would find that when I would eat it, I would literally be able to eat a whole bag in a matter of seconds. Like I would just go right through the entire bag. And what's interesting is like a couple of months ago, I saw that same granola at the grocery store and I was like, oh, hello, old friend. I remember you. (laughs) And I brought it home and I was like, I used to love this granola. And I had one bowl. And what was interesting is that a couple of weeks later, I actually had to throw it away because I forgot about it and it started to grow mold. Now, when I was compulsively eating, that would have never happened. Like the granola would not have even stayed around for a couple of hours. So that was such evidence to me that like, it's not about the food. It's about everything underneath it and the emotional needs that we are receiving from a food experience. It's interesting
0: because a lot of people associate or think that these associations are always with something super negative. But one thing I feel like really resonated with me during that story was just that I had to go through a weird process when I was trying to cut back on drinking. And I've never really associated with like having a drinking problem, well, or an addiction to drinking, but more like I was a problem drinker for a while in my twenties. I was a huge party girl, all this stuff. But when I was getting my life together, it's not like I'd have these needs like, Oh my God, I must drink and then always drink too much or whatever. But like I had associated a cocktail or a glass of wine with fun. And so on like a Sunday or whatever, I'm trying to make these big changes in my life. And I'm walking by all these patios with bottomless mimosas. And it's like, I wanted in there. It was like this association with that's how you get to that level of fun. And then it's everywhere on TV, every movie you watch with like these little enviable girl clicks. They're always out for a cocktail or a glass of wine or a wine night. (laughs) So associating a food or a drink or something with a behavior can be a very slippery slope, even if it's seemingly positive. And I think that's also where it gets a little confusing because Yeah, it seems like, oh, I just want to have fun. But why did I need that on a Saturday or whatever? Like a lot of it was because I'm like, okay, well, what do I actually do now? Am I missing my old life? It was like to kind of ease that moment of discomfort. It'd be so much easier to just throw my problems away and have a big girl's brunch.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it right there where you said, you know, it'd be so much easier to avoid this discomfort. So, whenever we're using something to cope, whether it's food, alcohol, shopping, things like that, we miss out on the opportunity to emotionally mature. We miss out on the opportunity to learn emotional resilience. We miss out on the opportunity to honestly build our emotional fitness. If every time we're experiencing discomfort, that we immediately try to escape from it. I don't remember who told me this, but it's something that really stuck with me. So my first memory, as I shared before, of emotional eating was when I was six years old. And for the next 20-something years, I emotionally ate on and off for that entire time. And someone once told me that the age that you are, when you... Begin emotionally eating or using any kind of coping mechanism. Obviously, you're probably, maybe you will, but you're probably not going to be drinking at six years old. Who knows? But it's possible. (laughs) But the age that you begin coping with a substance, whether it's food or anything else, is the age that you remain emotionally. So even though I was in my late 20s and had really established myself. I was emotionally six years old and I still feel like I'm definitely not perfect. I'm not Moses on the mountain here. I definitely still feel like there's a lot of emotional growth. I am still learning and stepping into, but I definitely had a lot to learn that was not taught to me about how to be emotionally resilient. How to manage difficulty without destroying myself in the process, how to not punish myself when things went off the rails or got difficult or I you know made a mistake. So I love what you shared because it's so true. Like we can feel that awkwardness. and my invitation is to all who are listening to lean into it, go right into it because that is where we learn. In the same way that if we're going to do push ups, things are going to get uncomfortable, right? You can't learn to do push ups without feeling like you're going to die in some regard. And in some ways, I know this might sound silly, but healing emotional eating can sometimes feel like that. It can honestly feel like we might die, but in an emotional way, because we are learning how to manage challenges and difficulties in ways that we're not used to. We're used to escaping and now it's time to stay in it and show up.
0: Yeah. I've heard that too, as regards to emotional maturity and things like that. And another thing that I hear quite often and not exactly sure the original roots, because I've heard it from so many different places, is that if we're not actively seeking positive struggle or positive challenges, we're going to like manifest those challenges in a way that's out of our control. So for those people who feels like everything's going wrong, or they have all these self-sabotaging things, it's because they're not actively seeking a challenge that progresses them. So there's going to be challenge in our life no matter what. But do you want to take control of those challenges and have it guide you up a path? Or do you want those challenges to take control of you? And that's something that really pushes me to seek things that push me further, because it's so easy to be like, but there's a whole new Netflix Christmas movie on. <laughs> like, they just curated the whole holiday selection. I want to watch holiday movies instead. That's an easy thing to just sink into. But mm-hmm. having that little nagging feeling, saying like, "Okay, well, if I'm not going out and getting what I want, then what's gonna get me?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So well said. And it's such an important thing to like really take a look at. If I am spiraling and using food to cope, soothe, and escape, what am I actually trying to avoid?
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity— It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead
1: If I am spiraling and using food to cope, soothe, and escape, what am I actually trying to avoid? What growth opportunity is in another area of my life that I'm actually avoiding? And, And really looking at that because emotional eating is such an easy way to avoid our growth in any capacity. It just keeps us chasing our tail. I mean, you eat, you feel guilty, you feel shameful, you say you're never going to do it again, you do it again, you eat, you feel guilty, you feel shameful. I mean, how many times do we have to go around the cycle to recognize we're not growing when we're in the emotional eating cycle?
0: I know that common emotional eating foods tend to be those high fat, high sugar, high carbs. Like you never see somebody binge eating spinach through their tears, you know? (laughs) So, how (laughs) much of binging is because of emotions and how much of it is just those addictive properties in the foods? Well, it's interesting because this is something
1: that I have recently been teaching my clients is that the high fat, high sugar foods are the foods that we will tend to emotionally eat on because when we are emotionally eating, the body is in a fight, flight, freeze state. And those high fat, high sugar foods are survival foods. They're foods that help the body in really packing away the pounds because in the eating experience, it's really heightened. The stress level is heightened and the body is in survival mode. So part of it is a recognition of what's going on from like a psychological and a nervous system perspective. Then those things start to become addictive they become addictive because I mean, sugar, sugar and high fat. Well, number one, high fat food is cheese. And that itself is like eating an opioid. And then the cycle begins. But I think it's really important to first recognize that the beginning of the cycle is in our control, actually. And one of the things that I tell my clients is that It's not what you're doing in the eating experience because usually we've lost control by that point. What matters is what are you doing miles before you even get into the emotional eating experience. So if you tend to overeat late at night, It's about what you're actually doing in the morning and in the afternoon and even that middle afternoon time, like right around three o'clock, that matters. And I'm not talking about the specific foods that you're eating. I'm talking about where are you mentally and emotionally? Because when we are in an emotional eating cycle, when we are actually in the experience of emotional eating, we actually lose contact with part of our brain we've lost contact with our prefrontal cortex, which is in charge of rational thought, which is in charge of like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be eating this. Maybe I should step away. And even if we have those thoughts while we're emotionally eating, the brain is so flipped. We're so much in that fight or flight nervous system that we don't have the capacity to actually control our behavior. Um, So there's a lot of, feedback out there and thought and theory out there of like, stop and choose differently. But how many times have we all been in an emotional eating experience when you don't even feel like you can stop? When you're like, I know I shouldn't be eating this, but I can't stop. That is a sign that you've flipped your lid, that you've lost contact with that part of the front of your brain in charge of rational thought. And there are things that need to happen early in your day to support you in managing things so your emotional capacity doesn't become so intense that you're immediately entering in into emotional eating.
0: Yeah. And it's a slippery slope too, because a lot of times the moment that you realize you are not supposed to be doing this and you know, but you can't stop. Or there's like a second voice that's being like, no, it's fine. Like something about these calories won't count or this is (laughs) going to be different. You know, like it's weird, the things that you kind of convince yourself of. It's like, I'm eating a giant chocolate bar late at night. Why do I think this isn't going to affect me tomorrow morning? I'm going to be so regretful. And then I'm going to have feelings of self-loathing, which, kind of starts the process over again. I am curious though, because on your website, you had mentioned that you went to nearly a thousand hours of therapy talking about this. What was missing in therapy? Why didn't that help you? Oh gosh, this is a whole other podcast just talking about that. (laughs)
1: But one of the major things that was missing in therapy for me was the connection between mind and body. Therapy very much operates in that silo of the mental, but I was really missing, okay, like, so I don't feel safe. And how does that connect to the granola that I'm compulsively eating? There was a lot of missed connections and the therapists that I saw in those like thousand hours, um, really focused on like life and not on food. It was like I went with the problem of emotional eating and then we talked about everything else but emotional eating. Which is great. You know, I love therapy. I think therapy really works in certain forms, but when it comes to the emotional eating cycle, we need something different. We need something more direct more straightforward, to get right to the root, and to really relearn new patterns. I know I'd say that's another thing that therapy never did for me was actually teach me the new behaviors. There was some superficial talk about it, like, oh, when you crave things, you should go for a walk. And anyone who has suffered with any kind of disordered eating Knows that number one, when you want to emotionally eat, the last thing you want to do is go for a walk. And even if you do go for that walk, you're going to walk and then you're going to come back and you're going to eat.
0: Or you're going to bring a muffin
1: <laughs> <laughs> and walk at the same time. I've definitely done
0: that, by the way. You walk right to 7 Eleven. There's a DK Donuts around the corner for me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My point. Exactly. And taking that
1: realization of, okay, I know I'm supposed to do this differently, but like what the heck am I supposed to do differently was one of the reasons why I created my retreats called The Escape because it gives my clients the opportunity to have a hands-on healing food experience. And we eat together lunch and dinner every day of The Escape and it's like that practice. It's like being in the emotional gym with food. Sort of going back to that analogy of the push-ups, like you're not gonna learn how to do a push-up by talking about it. You gotta get on your hands and you gotta do it. Same thing with food. You can't relearn new behaviors with food by just talking about it. You gotta do it and you gotta practice it. Those are the things that I teach my clients how to do.
0: Well, so I'd love to get into some of these healing practices. So say people are out there and they're like, oh my gosh, this whole conversation is talking about me. I need help. Where is the first place that they start to start healing their relationship with food? So
1: I'm actually going to skip into the part about untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger because I feel like this is the area that's most tangible and the people who are listening you can practice this right away in like whatever you're going to eat later today so that you can start to have your eyes open and experience things differently with food and one of the tools that I teach in untangling physical hunger from emotional hunger is called the hunger and fullness scale. A lot of people know about this, but the way that I teach it is a little bit different. So let's focus just on the fullness scale since overeating is can be very difficult. So on this scale, you want to just imagine a scale of one to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way up to 10. And at that 10 point is that Thanksgiving Day stuff. It's where you're really full. You've really overdone it. You feel sick. You feel bloated. All you want to do is go take a nap. That's a 10 on the fullness scale. Where satiation truly lives, where you feel complete, you feel like you are nourished, you're ready to move on, that is actually at a seven. And that place is what I call eating for integrity. It's about really honoring that you're nourishing your physical body, but separating it from any emotional hunger or those crazy voices that go back and forth in our head when we eat. It's about honoring that place where you know your body needs that fuel and that sort of internal whisper of, I'm full, I'm good, and really honoring that by stopping eating. Anything lower than a 7 on the fullness scale, like if you stop at a 5 or a 4, that's restriction. That is starvation, and that will only set you up for overeating later on. So then it's really about practice. So in the eating experience, while you're eating, the first thing is to be in a quiet space where you're free from distractions because that'll help you Tune in more deeply to what's going on physically and mentally for yourself. And then from there, periodically throughout the eating experience, you want to ask, like, where am I on the fullness scale? You want to pause and listen for an answer. The answer might come mentally, like you might actually hear it internally. You might feel it. It's sort of like, how does your body talk to you and starting to understand the language But the key point about the fullness scale is about honoring, honoring your physical body and the recognition that there is emotional hunger that needs to be fed in a different way. Emotional hunger cannot be fed through whatever's on your plate. It has to be fed in a different way. But the fullness scale is the beginning of starting to support Number one, you reclaiming your energy and your power from food. And then number two, to support further work into the healing of the emotional hunger.
0: So when you start to do that, I know part of what I was learning when I was really trying to develop more mindful eating practices, because they did kind of save my life, but there's some conflicting information around on whether it's good to say, for example, eat every three hours or something like that. That was something that I tried. And part of it I thought was really helpful because I might have been stopping eating at a five, but like my five was probably everyone else's full because I had stretched my stomach so much from binge eating. (laughs) And so I would stop at a five and it was really hard to do, but knowing that I could eat just a couple hours later and it was like little snacks to try to re-shrink my stomach or basically switch up whatever that little mechanism is that says, Hey, stop eating now. What are your thoughts on that? Is it helpful or is it some other way of being too obsessed with when you're eating?
1: So in the teachings around untangling physical and emotional hunger, which there are a number of them um, because it's not just like a simple cut and dry thing is I'm sure everyone is seeing from this conversation But one of the things that I talk about are eating dictators and the dictators in our lives in our experience that, quote unquote, tell us when to eat. And one of those dictators is actually time. Oh, it's 12 o'clock. Must be time to eat lunch without even truly connecting with our body. And like, are we even actually hungry? That if not, then no, we don't need to stop and eat, or even vice versa. Like, people get so hungry because they've skipped lunch and they look at the clock and they're like starving. So, what as I was sharing before, that time is one of the food dictators. But in the example that you are presenting, what really stuck out to me in what you said was knowing that you were going to eat again later in just a couple of hours was actually what supported you. And that actually is also what supported me because there would be these voices that I would hear in my head when I was eating. And one of the voices would be this fear voice of, Well, I better eat this now in case I get hungry later. Really coming from a place of like, I'm not going to be able to eat when I'm hungry later. Like that, (laughs) like when we start to really get into it, we can really see how like sly the mind is. But that was like usually a, a large motivator to emotionally eat was like this fear that I might not eat again, or this fear that I might not eat this thing again. So one of the things that I did just to support myself through it was listing out all of the places that I could go get food if I was actually really hungry and didn't have anything to eat. And it would be simple things like I could go to my neighbor's house and knock on their door and see if they had something. i pretty sure I have a can of beans. Like I could probably make something out of that. I could walk half a block to 7-Eleven. I could take a cab to Whole Foods. I could drive to Whole Foods. I just started to list out all of the possibilities of if this actually really occurred, where I was in a position where I was hungry and there was nothing to eat, what would I do? And What I noticed, and even just doing that practice with myself, what it actually helped me reclaim was like, I am not a victim. I'm not a victim to my experiences with food. I'm not a victim to this world. Like, I can handle it. And that just started to support me in beginning to trust myself again, trust myself that, number one, I can take care of myself but really trust myself in my boundaries, particularly like honoring that seven. Like I will get hungry again later. And there's a multiple, multiple options of what I can do to truly nourish myself. I don't need to plan seven steps ahead and overeat now. For Like I just need to nourish myself now. And that's a pattern that we can often get in as emotional eaters is like very much future thinking. And then we can also even really be stuck in a lot of past thinking like this happened in the past. This is a difficult experience. And we can really get into a lot of binge thinking about the past or the future. When in truth, what we really need to do is just be in the here and now, just be present, just tend to this moment
0: here and now. That makes so much sense to me. There were so many times that I was just like, well, I mean, it's not like I'm eating that much and this will be enough for like this meal and the next meal, so I don't have to worry about it. That's not even really how it works. (laughs) When I eat a lot during lunch, I actually usually feel hungrier around dinner because I've stretched my stomach a little bit more and then it starts to digest. And then I have this new caliber bar that is set for what, where I'm gonna eat to also which is going to be a little bit more than I need to. And so to actually stopping and being, allowing that next meal to come from that next meal, instead of trying to pack it in now, like we're not a chipmunk. So that makes a lot of (laughs) sense. One thing I'm curious about too, that I have so many listeners that I've realized from surveying and whatever that are either entrepreneurs or they're aspiring entrepreneurs. And they're so curious how Somebody can go from this moment where it's their deepest, darkest pain. It's the worst thing that's happening in their life or the thing that they have the least control over. And that's so often what we make into our path. Like Mm -hmm. there's the quote, turn your mess into your message or whatever. And that's really common. So I'd love to figure out how did you get from that place of being like, I just need to survive and save myself to now I'm going to help other people. Well, It certainly was a process. You know,
1: I think when it comes to turning your mess into your message, standing where I am now and being like, it's been four years since I've emotionally eaten in any capacity, that took so much time and so much commitment to healing to be in a place where I am now. This did not happen overnight in places, it did sort of feel like things happened pretty quickly. But even as we like coming into the new year and into a new decade, I've been doing a lot of thinking of like, what has happened over the last 10 years? Where was I 10 years ago? And honestly, 10 years ago, I was in the deepest, darkest place with my emotional eating. But I can say that in that 10 years. It took work. Like it took commitment. It took getting up, falling down, getting up again. In the beginning, I think I could only go two hours without emotionally eating or overeating, you know, like that sensation of feeling overly full. Like I could really only go two hours without feeling that. To then, where it was two days, I remember my first two days where I wasn't emotionally eating. And then I started emotionally eating again. And then there was a sprint of like two weeks. And then I started emotionally eating again. And then it was like, I couldn't make it like two months. And then I started emotionally eating again. And then it was like two years. And then it was four years. So I think there's a lot of quick fixes out there when it comes to food, when it comes to our health but not when it comes to emotional eating. It took me years. And same thing for my clients. I mean, depending on where they are, when we first start working together, it can happen quickly, but it can take some time. And that shouldn't scare anyone, right? Like Anything worthwhile is worth the journey. And food is the thing that we do the most in our entire lives. So, it's so important for us to really do the real work and heal our relationship with food because everything gets better when we do, because how we do food is how we do everything. I know for a lot of people in business, you know, there can be a lot of, oh, I made, you know, six figures in my sleep overnight. And like in truth, if you really talk to that person, how many times do they try and fail before that one quick hit? How many people do they have to pick up the phone and actually call to invite to their webinar to have that kind of success? Nothing is quick. Nothing is a quick fix. I've been an entrepreneur for eight and a half years, and being an entrepreneur is not a quick experience at all. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears same thing with anything food being married oh my gosh anything you do it's gonna take time and i think we have to start teaching people to be patient with the process because it's worth it
0: but you got to stick with it it's so true i was interviewing somebody on the concept of learning like he developed a framework on how to learn called ultra learning. And it's really fascinating. But one thing that he says is when we were growing up, how long did it take us to learn the English language? How long did it take us to walk like we weren't drunk? (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like It took a while. And then we've forgotten that, oh, it takes more than sitting down and watching a 20 minute YouTube video to actually learn something. You have to show up every day. But that was just so much a part of our life as we're growing up. We have to remind ourselves anything worth having is going to take some time to get there. So thank you so much for sharing both your journey with your relationship with food, as well as turning that into a profitable, inspiring business that helps tons of people. So for listeners who are really resonating with you, where is the best place to connect with you online? come on over to escapefromemotionaleating.com. That's where I'm hanging
1: out, where you'll find a tremendous amount of resources. And as I said earlier, feel free to take that quiz so you can have a deeper understanding about what's going on in your relationship with food and find out the next steps on how to heal it. So that's com. You can go there to find out my Instagram, Facebook, and all that stuff too. But escapefromemotionaleating.com
0: is the main place that I hang out. All of the links from this episode will be in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 121. First of all, if you're struggling with emotional eating, just know that there is hope. I finally feel free. I still have some struggles with thoughts. And a few years ago, when something from my past came back to haunt me, I... I did have to face some old demons again, but in the day-to-day, I'm free. And I did not used to think that this was possible. The most important thing to remember is to love yourself through it. Have compassion for yourself. As hard as that may be, no matter where you are in the journey, even if you do have a full-blown eating disorder and you're binging and purging, beating yourself up right now is not going to help you get out of it. I promised you my top mindful eating tips. I say that these tips saved my life, and that's because when I was in the depths of my bulimia, I honestly don't know how much longer I'd have survived the lifestyle that I was living. And most of these things just have to do with a little bit more intention and a little bit more awareness. So here we go. Number one, pause before eating. Maybe you say grace, give a moment of gratitude, or maybe you just take a moment to see and smell your food. Your senses are all involved in digestion, so this really does help prepare your body and help you come to the present moment. Number two, breathe. It sounds simple, but how often do you find yourself inhaling your food (laughs) or you don't even really remember eating it? This also just helps you slow down, which allows that feeling of fullness to kick in instead of eating so fast that you don't even know that you went over your limit. Number three, practice portion control even before you start eating. Use a smaller plate and put the rest of the food away before even sitting down so you're not just tempted to get up there and get another scoop. Number four, only eat when you're eating. Don't scroll through social or watch TV. You want to be in tune with the whole eating process. And number five, eat whole, nutritious foods. Foods with unnatural ingredients only add to the binge cycle. Processed foods are made to be addictive, and then we feel shame for not being able to control ourselves. It makes no sense. It's like trying to do just one line of Coke and expecting to stop when you have the whole bag in front of you. That is just playing with fire. I did an IGTV video with these tips a while back, so if you want a refresher and some added inspiration throughout your week, hit me up on IG at mindlovemelissa. And if this episode was helpful, please share it with somebody who needs it. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.